You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. My singing was missing the magic that people walk away from a performance and think, wow, that, was, that really moved me. My singing wasn't moving because I was so worried about making mistakes and so worried about forgetting and wanting to do things correctly do them right and be as good as I could, that I wasn't making magic with my music. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45 and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Okay, before we get started, I'd like to share with you this review from the listener Clara Cat on the Apple Podcast platform in Germany. It's called Thank You. This podcast really helps me feel less bad about the things I struggle with that others seem to find easy. I feel like that is my mission statement right there in a nutshell. That's exactly what I feel like these conversations are doing. They're helping us to destigmatize some of these struggles so that we can feel less alone and then learn why we have these brain-based differences and stop shaming ourselves. And then we can spend our time and our energy working with our brains instead of against them. I'm so glad you found this podcast, Clara Cat, and I'm so glad that these interviews have been helping. And thank you so much for taking the time to write a review. The reviews make such a big difference in getting this podcast noticed and found by other women who could really benefit from hearing these conversations too. I always say that finding our people is an important part of our treatment plan, which is why I'm so grateful for the Women and ADHD online community. It's a space for us to connect and ask questions and share strategies and advice or just vent. I'm continually amazed at the level of empathy and kindness and thoughtfulness that exists within this group. It's not something you see very often in social media spaces. So a big shout out to everyone who is participating in the community and helping it grow. And if you'd like to join us, make sure to head over to womenandadhd.com. In addition to the online forum, we also have an extensive resource library and monthly live Q&As with experts, all of which are recorded and archived for our members. Again, you can always find us at womenandadhd.com, and there is a link in the show notes to join us. Okay, here we are at episode 95, in which I interview Courtney Ruckman. Courtney was diagnosed with ADHD in October of 2021, and the Women in ADHD podcast was one of the first resources she found. Yay! Courtney spent about 11 years as a professional opera singer before retiring around two years ago and transitioning into arts marketing. Following her ADHD diagnosis, she looked back over her career as a performer and realized the extent to which ADHD was at the heart of her challenges as a singer and her decision to retire. 
She now loves using her neurodivergent creativity to help other artists shine online. And she's the founder of Osea Media, a digital marketing agency for emerging artists and nonprofits. Courtney and I talk all about working memory as a singer and a performer, as well as internalized hyperactivity and racing thoughts. We also talk about just how damaging those very common words, you have so much potential, can be to many neurodivergent children. All right, enjoy. Well, let's get started. Uh, Courtney, I am very, very excited to hear your story. When you reached out to me, you talked about how you had been a professional singer for a number of years and then went into your own business. So I was like, oh, yep, that's got ADHD written all over it. <laughs> and- yes. <laughs> But you were diagnosed not that long ago, right? The fall of 2021. So what was going on? What was happening in your life that you started to make these connections and and put some of this together and be like, I should really look into this? Well, I had no idea in childhood and early adulthood, absolutely zero idea. And in March 2020, like many others, my husband and I joined TikTok as a way to connect with our niece and send her videos of him dancing. And <laughs> I uh, started using the app for myself and I loved the For You page. And of course, TikTok knows you, the algorithm does. And it started sending me neurodivergent and ADHD content. And I thought, well, this is very interesting. These creators seem to have a direct line of vision into my daily life and my past experiences. So the summer of 2021, I went into therapy for issues with anxiety, depression, and binge eating. And it was about two months in. And at the first uh, start of the appointment, my therapist said, well, how is your mood today? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like that's getting better but there's a lot of things that are not getting better. And she said, well, please explain. And I was looking at my desk covered in post-it notes and (laughs) my alarms on my watch and my phone and my calendars everywhere in the house. And she said, well, these are really lovely compensations for someone with ADHD. Have you considered getting tested? Um, So that started me on the process of going to a psychiatrist. And it was very clear from the beginning with that psychiatrist that I'm doing more harm by uh, not medicating and not moving forward with treatment than I am by uh, continuing this process. So that was how I landed on my diagnosis. And it was thanks to TikTok. <laughs> yeah. And a, parent, and a therapist who really saw the signs too, which I think is always exciting when we have that, you know, I had, you know, I've, I've been very open about the fact that it was my therapist who really suggested for a long time that I look into it before I actually really looked into it. But I hear way more stories to the contrary of therapists who are like, let's deal with the depression. Let's deal with the anxiety who really have no idea what the signs look like and and kind of steer steer you into avenues that they're a little bit more comfortable with. It did feel like the closest alligator to the boat with the anxiety and, and things that I was having, but we didn't know that it was a symptom of the ADHD. We thought those were the issues. <laughs> so it was a little backwards, but it, we got to the right place. So yeah, interesting. Once diagnosed, I'm assuming you started looking back at your childhood and some of the rest of your life with this new awareness. And it's just like, it's like fireworks going off, right? Isn't it? It's crazy how, what it feels like, you know, that grief, that emotional roller coaster of going back and looking over the course of your life. And just, I imagine even as a professional musician, and I mean, what are some of the things that really leapt out at you in your past where you were like, oh yeah, the signs were there all along? Well, in the beginning, I graduated, I'd say 2008, I graduated from undergrad and started going into the professional singing realm. And in the beginning, everything was so new. It was very engaging and I was very interested in the work. And as the work started becoming more routine, I would say around 2015, 2016, 
that shine was gone. And so was my attention. And I really struggled with preparing music. Uh, you have to show up to all of your first rehearsals completely memorized. And that was becoming more and more challenging for me um, to be able to memorize these several hundred page books in a different language and be there the first day ready to go. And, and I was just not capable of doing it in a timely manner, which was fueling a lot of anxiety about getting there, being unprepared for getting words, making mistakes. And it was just kind of a avalanche of, of, of hard thoughts uh, around my job. Yeah, but I feel like that's got to be something a lot of singers deal with, right? I mean, how I'm always fascinated with when I talk to actors uh, about memorizing monologues and memorizing lines, because it sort of feels like your working memory is one part of your brain. And then the memorizing of lines is like a totally different section of the right? I don't know, it's weird <laughs> to describe, right? It's just sort of like, the recall isn't there until you're on stage, and then it just tumbles out of you. And so I assume it's the same with singing with song lyrics. Um, but it seems it also see, I guess my point is, it seems like this would be a widespread issue for musicians and singers is so were there any hacks or anything that you knew about? I kept a journal and I would write my words out over and over again. And now looking back at that journal, it just looks like an anxiety journal, to be honest, just I, I almost could have been writing don't forget, don't forget over and over for pages. I found it so stressful. And I remember doing a run of child uh, school performances. It was Little Red Riding Hood. And I was the character that set the scene for the next scene. And I told the kids what was happening. And it was a dialogue. There was no music. And I really could not remember those words without the music, musical cues. I remember one performance getting up in front of the kids and completely blanking, having no idea what my first words were. And it was just your worst nightmare coming to life. <laughs> I realized how reliant I was on the musical cues, those external cues with castmates and um, the conductor. And I needed that support. And without that, I really struggled. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Hmm. So what else was there? Was there other things in your childhood and school? And I assume you come from, a, do you come from a musical family? I do. My grandfather always told me that my singing voice sounded just like his mother's, but I never got to meet her, but she sang a lot um, just around the house and things. Yeah. Um, my family was very musical and I did really well in music through uh, elementary school, middle, high school when there wasn't the memorization component. In my church choir where I grew up at, we were learning new pieces every week and that really fueled that um, like hyper focus for me. And I could work on one thing intensely and then put it away and go to something else. And it was um, very exciting. And so settling into the classical music field was challenging because you're working on the same repertoire over and over again. And I just could feel the the dopamine <laughs> dropping out of my mind as I'm trying to work on these same pieces repeatedly. And I, I really missed that faster pace that seemed to suit me so well uh, in childhood. Mm, yeah. Now, have you discussed ADHD with anybody in your family? I have a little bit. And now knowing more about it, you can kind of see the signs peppered around uh, different members of the family. <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, it does run in families. And um, there's definitely similarities in some of um, the things that I experience and some of the things that they do. So the, it's really opened a door to me to see myself, but also my whole family in a new way um, and just be able to relate better, I think, to everyone. Yeah. So they've been accepting of it there. Cause you know, oftentimes I hear that story too, of like, Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. This is an ADHD. This is just our quirky family. <laughs> yeah. I think it was my brother just a few days ago said, well, doesn't everyone have a little ADHD? And I'm like, sir, <laughs> I think that's a tell. So 
Yeah, right. Um, now, you said your husband also was drawn to TikTok. I feel like TikTok is the flame and neurodivergence are the moths, right? Yeah. <laughs> Right, I feel like the entire the entire app is filled with neurodivergence. Uh, has he gone on a similar journey of of self diagnosis, or was he already diagnosed? He so he started sending me things, and I when I was looking at the content, I thought, well, I'm just identifying this, but maybe everyone could. And when he started sending me things, that was really the tell. Well, someone else notices that this should be resonating with me, so maybe that's a sign <laughs> that that I should be looking into this more. But yeah, I think. That was very helpful to get that information from him as well, seeing an outside perspective of of what my day-to-day looks like and how it looks like neurodivergence. Yeah, that is great because I, I know sometimes the question is so often like, am I struggling? To what degree am I struggling? You know, maybe that everybody's a little ADHD, you know, like a lot of those sort of ways in which we minimize our own situation because we're so used to dismissing how we feel, right? Like that same of like, you could, you could do this if you worked harder, right? And so it can be really difficult to be like, I, at least I find it really difficult to sort of determine how much have I struggled over the course of my life? Am I like, you know, that's, that can be really difficult. And then oftentimes feeling like, am I lying, you know, not lying, but like, am I exaggerating the struggle? Right. Um, because a lot of the time I think we have a tendency to just be like, yeah, it was, I'm always like this. And you're like, well, are you really always like that? <laughs> like, it's really difficult to determine what percentage of time you are like this. Um, but then I'm also like, but that's the ADHD that's making me feel like it's always like this. So then we're back to, well, then you obviously have ADHD, right? <laughs> Yeah. We had a, like for a lot of gigs, we lived in group housing and you would have roommates. And that's when it really started to show to me that I was maybe a little different than others and was struggling a little more because others could learn their music so quickly. They could get to rehearsal on time. They didn't have multiple alarms on their phones, you know, things like that. And I was the only one that (laughs) that was doing things differently. And that was kind of, uh, it perked my ears up, but I didn't know what it was a sign of. I just thought I was a little different than everyone else. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I remember when it occurred to me that everybody used to use my notes to study for tests because I was so like meticulous about, you know, color coding and everything. <laughs> and so when I was in university, it was like, oh, everybody always wanted my notes because I I, I took such copious detailed notes and yet everybody else studied with my notes and did really well and I never did well <laughs> and that's why I was like what is ha- where is the breakdown here I- yeah and it never even really occurred to me until after you know my diagnosis where I was sort of looking back over these patterns in my own life being like oh yeah that that makes a lot of sense okay it's <laughs> a tell right <laughs> it's that hard work and achievement gap that I feel like so many people with ADHD experience, you know, creating those beautiful notes, putting in so much effort and not seeing those results that your work should yield that it does for others. And that's so frustrating. Yeah. Right. And I think also just that assumption that the desire is not there to succeed. And I think that's something a lot of us struggle with, right. Which was like, no, the desire was there all along in abundance, right? Like we (laughs) desperately want to do well. And, and yet we are being viewed so often as not caring and, you know, and that's where I think why we all of us end up so deeply depressed is because, you know, it's just that I, uh, I always laugh at the most traumatic moments in, in conversation, which I also think is like an ADHD tell, right? Like how we deal with trauma, right? Which is like, oh, we're all such hot messes. <laughs> but I just mean like, it's true. Like, 
the desire is always there to do well. And then when we can't figure out why we are not doing the thing, you know, I'm like, I'm just as confused as everyone else as to why I'm not, I'm not able to produce results. Yeah, it's that lifelong feeling of not meeting your potential. And it's depressing. (laughs) Why that comment of, you know, not meeting your potential is so, so like, damaging to the core when you have ADHD. I saw that there was a really great Twitter thread recently about that comment of of like, you know, not reaching your potential and how there are certain neurotypical children that that can actually be quite motivating, right? Which is like, I see potential in you. Let's work harder. and, And let's get finished. And the whole tweet thread was about the fact that like, when you are neurodivergent, it can be incredibly damaging to say that to them, because the desire and the effort is there, the just the ability is not there. And nobody is focusing on that, right. And so it can actually be doubly damaging to say something like that. And it was really interesting to see it that way, because we've always talked about how we have, you know, we all kind of have those comments in common from our childhood, but we don't often really take the time to articulate like why they were so damaging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're basically saying spin your wheels harder because they're not giving you the tools or the structure that you need to be successful. They're just telling you to do the same thing you're doing harder, which is not working in the first place. Yeah, right. So how can you be successful? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am a big proponent of therapy. Therapy provides me the best opportunity for verbal processing, something that is so important for my kind of brain and my sense of self. What I love about BetterHelp is that it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online from the comfort of your home. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise that might not be available to you locally. It also tends to be more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. If you visit their website and read their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash womenADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash womenADHD. And there's a link in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop. 
and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Okay, so now I'm here. I have some more questions about being a musician. So you, was there something ADHD related that led you to retire or was it just time or what, how did you transition from being a professional singer into what you are now doing, which is, which is marketing, right? And, and helping other musicians. So let's talk about your retirement or I guess your transition. <laughs> let's talk about your retirement. Okay. Let's talk about your, your new, your, your like so young. I'm like, okay, let's talk about your new, this new phase in life. Yeah, it it was really this just this feeling like I was underachieving potential, you know, applied in so many areas of life, but particularly with singing. And I was really struggling with preparing my music for rehearsals. And I would get into these cycles where I was preparing later and later, forcing these hyper-focused periods. But then I would get to the gig and think, well, I didn't spend enough time. Am I actually ready? And I couldn't take staging and rehearsals was another big issue. You come the first day memorized and the director tells you where you're going on stage, who you're talking to, what props you're using and moving. And you're just supposed to remember it on the first take. And I was never capable of doing that. And it started fueling these feelings of embarrassment in rehearsals that I felt like I wasn't matching the level of my castmates. And the feelings were getting so intense, um, having like nightmares about doing silly things on stage. And I just couldn't imagine living in that cycle every few weeks for the rest of my professional life. Um, so I got into marketing. I was working with an opera company in Florida as a singer and they needed help with Twitter. And I loved Twitter at the time. It was my favorite platform before TikTok. And <laughs> so I uh, started with them in social media. And that was my segue onto the other side of the table as a marketer for music rather than as a singer. And it's so much more comfortable for me that I can create my own schedule. I don't need to be memorized. Um, I can follow my creativity more and follow where my head's at with project rather than deciding two years ago, I'm going to be doing this project and getting to this point and realizing I just, I'm not interested in this anymore. Mm, interesting. Now, since your diagnosis, do you look back at kind of your relationship with singing and that feeling of like, you know, always the, I guess, imposter syndrome, right? For, for lack of a better word, or, or that feeling like, cause I know so many of us have that feeling like somebody's going to find out that we don't belong here, right? <laughs> yeah. And and it sounds like that's what you were experiencing with your passion. And and it's and so I feel like now through this lens of the diagnosis, do you look back and think maybe you could try it again or or is there some part of you that's like no, I'm much it was it it will always be fraught and I would like a little less fraughtness in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'd say that classical singing is on the preservationist side with um, rehashing the same pieces uh, over and over. So if I went back, it would be exactly what I was doing before. And that was just so fraught with anxiety um, and tough emotions that I don't know if I would want to go back. And recently I listened to some old recordings and I felt like a walking question mark at the time. And you can absolutely hear that in the recordings. They're they're trying so hard to be perfect that it 
my singing was missing the magic that people walk away from a performance and think, wow, that was, that really moved me. My singing wasn't moving because I was so worried about making mistakes and so worried about forgetting and wanting to do things correctly, do them right and be as good as I could, that I wasn't making magic with my music. And that was why I started it in the first place. So I really did lose my personal mission over those few years with music and that made me interested in retiring or <laughs> moving on to marketing um, because I felt that inspiration in that direction. And that was really missing in my life for a long time. Aww. Now, what would you, I guess, what would you say to somebody if there was a young singer who or performer who was is listening to this, who is struggling, I'm sure with a lot of that same, the same issues of like, I, I don't know, this is, yeah, everybody else is figuring this out, but me, like, do you, what would you say to that young person? I would say it does seem like everyone has it figured out and that's really not the case. And talking with everyone, whether it's for neurodivergent reasons or other reasons entirely, everyone struggles with a career in their own ways. And if you're still feeling the passion for it, keep pursuing it. And maybe there's avenues adjacent to what you thought you wanted to do where you can still be involved. You can still be a part of it and still pursue something that you're passionate about. Mm, that's lovely. With the memorization issue, are there accommodations that exist now looking back at the where you're just like, is there another way you could kind of approach this to compensate for some ADHD traits in that field? Yeah. I, and, you know, in the beginning, it was so easy because a lot of the work was in foreign languages and I really enjoyed foreign languages and I enjoyed learning the vocabulary. So when the vocabulary was fresh, it was very exciting to me and I was able to focus. But as you spend more time in it, you realize, well, all the stories are about love. So there's a lot of the same words over and over again, love, lover, uh, friendship, mother, father, these words are so repetitive that I started losing the attention for the language learning. And then it became more of a chore of memorizing what I already knew. There was no like discovery element for me. I really loved preparing my score, putting in my tabs, getting everything ready to start memorizing. And then once that start time came, I was over it. <laughs> just, I just wish I could have sustained my attention. That was the challenge. Yeah, that's a really interesting pers perspective about language in general, because I always felt like I had such a difficulty with vocab, you know, it was I when things logically made sense, and there were logical patterns that I could follow, I loved language. But when it just came to rote memorization of vocabulary, that's where it all fell apart for me. <laughs> and still does, you know, Yeah, it's it's not exciting. Exactly. And and I can't retain anything too. And so that's what always was frustrating about growing up in Canada and learning French. And I literally, and I took French all through university. So I've, I've spent, I've spent like 12 years learning French. And yet I feel like I'm still a beginner because so much, it's so difficult to retain and you know, unless you're immersed in it. So, um, it's interesting to hear that from the point of view of somebody who's like not dabbling, but it's like, you're not like actively learning the language, but you really are right mm -hmm. through these pieces. And it's not functional language anymore. A lot of the poems are so old. Um, it's archaic forms of verbs that you would never use in real life. And so it, it, you feel like you're not living through the music. I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like I was just, I was a vessel for other people's thoughts and creativity. And I, I guess that was truly the missing link for me is I didn't feel like there was enough of myself in my work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Moving into digital marketing, and I love I love the niche. You know, I love how you are sort of 
almost like a doula for musicians, right? Who are like, if, <laughs> if this is if this is confusing and confounding to you, I speak this language as well, so I can help you, you know, with that. And I love that it's very it's like very caring way to kind of deal with your clients. And so you said that you got into this because you were just sort of already felt like you were savvy at Twitter or sort of what led you to kind of make this your profession? I started with a social media marketing class. I had a knee injury and I wasn't able to work out as much as I liked. So I took this class thinking, well, it'll be really helpful for me as a singer. And then after that class, I took that uh, social media management job and it just kind of started going from there. I did a lot of classes online to learn on my own. I joined a mentorship program and I, I felt when I was going through as a singer, there were so many classes on language, stage combat, so many things to train us for the work on stage that they didn't give us enough on the business side. So a lot of singers really know that social media, websites, um, recordings, YouTube pages are important, but they don't know how to execute them properly. So that's the niche that I'm hoping to fill, the void that I'm hoping to fill, I guess you'd say, <laughs> to help them put a digital foot forward um, for their music, not just focusing on the music itself. Because now, especially after COVID, so much of casting and things are happening online, that's even more important. Mm, yeah, I know, right? I feel like I've seen a lot of that on social media, the kind of like bitterness about, <laughs> yeah. you know, just having something that you're passionate about, or even just being a small business owner, right? As a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, that this new element of like mastering social media and being constantly present on social media is basically a must at this point. And it's really frustrating for people who actually want to focus on their art, <laughs> that this, this also has to come with it, right? I'm trying to think of what it was that I saw the other day where it was like, an unrelated field where they were basically like, unless you are already successful on social media, you're not even considered. I think it was a musician in terms of like labels, right? Like music, uh, music labels. It's like, you have to have a song already go viral before a studio will even look at you. And it just, the whole thing felt so backwards and so frustrating at how, how much I'm bitter. I'm certainly bitter as a somebody who already has a platform of a podcast that I love. I'm also sort of like, ah, oh, but like, I feel this overwhelming duty to always be present on all social media platforms. And it's, it can be really frustrating. It's exhausting. And there, there's always the questions, well, what should I put, be posting? Should I be posting the same thing everywhere? When should I be posting? There's so many of these basic questions that it feels like you have to have the answer to, and <laughs> it's exhausting. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one -on -one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womeninadhd.com coaching, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. 
Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. So what would you say that you love most since your diagnosis, looking back, like what are some of the patterns that you see or what are some of the things that you can really appreciate that ADHD has brought you in your life. Cause I always joke, right? I always like, I like to joke that I'm like, nobody came to their ADHD diagnosis. Cause they were like, my life is great. What is the name of this superpower that I have? Right. <laughs> like usually <laughs> yeah. we're in some kind of moment of crisis. And so I think once, you know, it's interesting because it's such an emotional roller coaster going through this diagnosis to see some of those things that you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. There are a lot of things that I do bring to the table. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that makes me think of the Driven to Distraction book, because uh, the author talks a lot about how so much of ADHD treatment is uh, deficit based. And you do forget that there come a lot of strengths with it. It's easy to forget that when you're going through the diagnosis process or just living day to day. Um, But I'd say what I love about my ADHD is the creativity and uh, the learner abilities that I have to hyper focus on something and really deep dive and uh, have a great breadth of knowledge in a certain area. I love that. You know, it was funny. I had a moment of kind of sadness today. I I was thinking about buying business cards because I haven't bought business cards yet, but I'm going to a conference in a few months and I was like, I should buy business cards. And I opened up this drawer and found just like five boxes of business cards from past businesses. (laughs) Where, you know, where I bought like 500 cards and used two of them. And then, you know, and then it was, and I just had this moment of like, oh, God, it makes me so frustrated 
to think about all of these past businesses and all of the like, you know, we do tend to focus on like the loss, right? The ADHD taxes. But then I quickly, and I think this is one of the things that is lovely about ADHD is that grit that we all have, right? Where you can, where I was like, I looked at it and I was like, but all of these past businesses have led me to where I am today, right? So I was like able to kind of think about how insatiable we are for learning and and excitable and how like we really just love so many different random things and then they all kind of come together in the present moment where you're like i am doing this because of five different random hyper focuses that i've had over the course of my life right and you're like this is how i ended up here with this interesting niche job <laughs> Yeah, they don't feel like stepping stones when you're in it either. And that's the frustrating part. They feel so disconnected. But when you get to the destination and you look back, you think, oh, yeah, well, actually, they all helped in getting me here. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. It is. Yeah, I, I can see that sometimes. Usually I have to go through the, oh, my God, I'm a chaotic shit show before I get to that point. <laughs> but it's not, right. It's a process. <laughs> yeah. All about the journey. <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that. Okay, and so I always like to ask if you could if you could rename ADHD to something that's a little less problematic. Do you, would you call it something else? I kept thinking about the original acronym, the ADD acronym, uh, almost uh, attention directional disorder, but then it doesn't really apply to the working memory piece. So I don't know. I guess that would be my standing answer of the moment. To go back to ADD, because I think a lot of women, especially adult women, are more comfortable with just getting rid of the H, even though I think we all come to our own understanding of where the H is in in our brains. But yeah, I like the I like the changing deficit to directional because we do talk a lot about that, you know, this idea that it's not there's no deficit of anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, I like that one. The hyperactivity piece, I didn't really see in myself in the beginning of the, the journey, I guess you could say. Um, but then I realized that that can be applied to thoughts. And I would say my brain is always over, over, over active racing thoughts, 20 radio stations at the same time. And so I guess it just represents or presents in different ways for me. But yeah, well, even and I know you had mentioned earlier in the conversation about binge eating. And that's something that I, you know, very open with my own very long struggle with binge eating and, and binge eating recovery. And it was so it was really interesting to me to think about ADHD and binge eating and kind of the, you know, because so much of the binge part of binge eating is that feeling completely out of control, like you are not at the wheel. And you cannot stop yourself from doing these behaviors. And so the harder you try to stop, the worse it gets, right? And so that that in its way feels very much connected to the internalized hyperactivity and that feeling of like, somebody else is driving this car. <laughs> yeah, you have no control. <laughs> right? It always fascinates me the random ways that hyperactivity pops up again in behaviors. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know anything about binge eating in relation to ADHD. And so when I initially started therapy, I thought that it was more a symptom of chronic dieting and under eating and just being frankly, very hungry and getting to these points where I just needed calories, I needed food. And I didn't see it also as a dopamine seeking stimulation seeking. So I think if the ADHD part had not been diagnosed, I don't think that I would be as successful with that where I am now. Um, I really needed that piece to fall into place. 
Yeah. And that's the thing I just do, frankly, do not understand. I'm not a medical professional, but I do not understand why there are certain um, amphetamines like Vyvanse that are used as binge eating medications because they're appetite stimulants. Because I feel like if you have an appetite stimulant all day long that wears off at night, that's the prime environment for binge eating, right? Which is like, you know, not eating all day long and then having this ravenous hunger. So I'm like, how does that work? I don't understand. Maybe somebody out there that's listening who knows about Vyvanse better than I do can make that connection for me. Because I'm like, that feels like the worst idea for a binge eater, (laughs) right? (laughs) Uh, and so it always fascinated me that the people are like, oh yeah, go on Vyvanse. It's great. It's, you know, it's an appetite suppressant. It'll help with binge eating. And I'm like, either I'm missing something, you know, which is how we always feel, right? I'm, am I missing something? Did I not get the memo? Um, but I'm like, it just does not make any logical sense to me why an appetite suppressant is used to combat binge eating, right? Well, it was very strange in the beginning, like, when I first started taking Vyvanse, that's the medication I was given. And I came to therapy with intuitive eating already been marinating in my head. And so when I'm on the Vyvanse, you know, it is an appetite suppressant and I have to make myself eat when I don't feel hungry. And it feels so counterintuitive to those intuitive eating principles of honoring your hunger. That was a lot to marinate on in my brain. (laughs) It felt almost backwards in a sense. So that was challenging. I know. Yes. I had a lot of issues around that as well. Even still doing all the work that I had also done with diet recovery and and intuitive eating. And I found Becca King so helpful. Um, She's on Instagram, the ADHD.nutritionist. I don't know if you follow her. She's so amazing. She's done a lot of podcasts too. I should actually get her on here. Uh, Shout out to Becca King. Uh, (laughs) Um, I'll put a link in the show notes too, because she's so amazing. And she does talk a lot about, I think, what does she call it? There's like a convenience eating, or there's like a name that she gives it where you really just have to like, even when you are not hungry, you need to develop habits around food um, and and around meal times, which can be especially difficult for us because especially when we're hyper-focusing and all of that. And so I really struggled with, I was like, I'm a terrible intuitive eater. I always felt like I was doing intuitive eating wrong because, you know, before my ADHD diagnosis, but, you know, because of that idea that like, I didn't know what my hunger cues were. I didn't know what my fullness cues were until it was way too late. Like all of these sort of ways of being a quote unquote good intuitive eater, I just always felt like I was screwing up. And and I feel like she handles a lot of that anxiety around food very well, <laughs> addresses it, you know. It's so helpful. Yeah, she's fantastic. Such a gift to the community. Yeah. And that was the other thing. I was like, I can't believe how common eating issues of all sorts are with for people with ADHD and it, it all makes sense now. Yeah. Once you get that diagnosis, it's it, you don't feel alone anymore and you realize that a lot of your experiences other people are having and there's actually solutions to things that you're struggling with and that was one of the best parts of being diagnosed is there's there's help out there. You just didn't know what you needed until the diagnosis. So that was wonderful. That's so well said. I like to use the example of the left-handed scissors, right? You just need the right tools. There's nothing wrong with you, but there's that sense that like, why is everybody else able to do this and I'm not? And you know, and when you go through life always feeling that way, like you you get to adulthood and you're just, you know, you believe that you are the problem in every situation. And it's so important to turn that thinking around and a diagnosis is, you know, and and why I'm always kind of like, 
it's not necessary to get a diagnosis, but I feel like it can do, it, it can be tremendous in terms of helping changing that perspective and changing that inner narrative, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. To feel like it's not you. It's something else. And it's not that you're the failure or a failure. Uh, there's something else driving the ship that you're not in control of until you know, and you can build a system of supports and the right environment to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. Very lovely. Well, you're much more articulate than I am today. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Okay, so so how can people find you? And I mean, I'm sure there's got to be some musicians who are <laughs> who are listening to this podcast because I feel like the the uh, profession is probably rife with with ADHD. Or so, who do you work with, and how can people find you and and better yet work with you? So I'm on social media personally as Cr Soprano. Uh, a relic from my singing days. And I'm on uh, social media professionally as OSIA Media, O-S-S-I-A Media, just a fledgling business and really looking forward to working individually with uh, singers and small nonprofits to help them bring their projects and visions to life. Beautiful. And OSIA, is that that a musical term for the uninitiated? (laughs) Yeah. So when you look at a musical score at the end of a piece, there might be a high note, but there could also be an optional high note uh, at the end that can bring special sparkle and color to a piece. Uh, You can also see Osea's if there's a challenging musical passage and Osea is in a small print above and it's a simplification. And I loved the concept for a business because it's taking something that's complex and simplifying it for equal uh, impact. That's awesome. So that was kind of the concept for naming. Yeah, it was a great term. Good find. <laughs> and I also feel like that's a stre- That's a, an ADHD strength too, right? Which is to be able to, to sort of make those connections. Yeah, we're not short on creativity. <laughs> <laughs> And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.